Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host Denise Messenger for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on our very special edition of Health Media Now. This is February 15th, 2019. I'm honored to have on our show today Joel Evans, and I find him an inspirational individual with a very positive attitude, considering the fact that he has survived cancer and has written a book and wants to share his experiences with us. So I will bring Joel onto our show now. Hi, Joel. Hi, Denise. Thanks for having me. So let's get into um, into your book, Surviving Cancer and Embracing Life. This was your personal journey. Why don't yes. you impart some of your information? Um, okay, well, Paul, I... Uh, my motivation for writing the book was that I feel like I've been uh, extremely blessed because what I've had is pancreatic cancer. Uh, the uh, fatality rate is extremely high. I was caught early so that I was able to have the surgery. Uh, it had not spread to my lymph nodes, so I had the surgery. It was followed by chemo, followed by my daughter's wedding. And... Um, I have been a college professor for virtually my whole life until I just retired this January. So I am I am a writer. And what I wanted to try to do was to give back, and that really is my mission in life now, giving back, which is why I wanted to do the radio show, and I appreciate it, is to try to, to give some perspective of somebody who's gone through one of the most severe um, types of cancer that there is with the surgery, with the chemo, with the side effects, but do it in a hopeful, uh, inspirational way. And I really believe that um, a positive attitude has a tremendous impact upon um, how we do and uh, that um, if we make ourselves miserable, it only makes things worse. So I am lucky because, and and it's kind of interesting because I never thought I would view myself this way, but I had had, prior to being diagnosed with the pancreatic cancer, I had had diabetes for 20 years, and it was type 2, and I was on um, insulin and pills, and I would get blood work done every three months, and I never thought I'd say that having having, uh, diabetes would save my life. But my Mm -hmm. endocrinologist would run a whole um, range of tests, not just the tests related to diabetes or my um, cholesterol, but he ran a whole bunch of other tests. And one of the tests that he ran was called the Billy Rubin test, B-I-L-I-R-U-B-I-N. 
and that uh, relates to uh, the liver. And um, one Thursday morning at 7.30 in the morning, I got a call from him saying, uh, I didn't like your Billy Rubin score, and I want you um, at the radiologist today getting a CAT scan, and I want to see you after that. So there's nothing wow. that gets you more excited at 7.30 in the morning than your doctor calling up and telling you you need a CAT scan today. I'll say. I went, yeah, I went and got the CAT scan, went back to his office, and uh, there was a spot on there, and uh, he was unbelievable because we just we went back to him without an appointment. He had probably five people waiting in his office. We were with him for an hour. He would not let us leave until he had set up uh, the gastro guy for other tests that I need, that he helped identify you know, a surgeon that I should consider using, and he was phenomenal. And um, we were all kind of in uh, a state of shock, but being somebody who's who's always been open and never believed in, you know, in hiding things, I said to my wife, we have two adult daughters, let's stop by both of their houses and just give them a heads up rather than, you know, calling them in a week and telling them, uh, you know, guess what? So we stopped at one and then I went to the other and... Uh, went home and then within a month and that includes the fact that we had had a major snowstorm for a week in new york which meant nothing could happen and i went from the first diagnosis to having the surgery and the surgeon uh totally planned this day around this because this is you know a big one and it's an eight and a half hour surgery so for him that means the you know the entire day so we uh, kind of were numb going into the surgery. And I think like a lot of people, um, we only become aware of what stuff is when it happens to us or a loved one. So, mm-hmm. of course, we'd heard of pancreatic cancer, and of course that we knew that it was deadly. But I had absolutely no clue what pancreatic cancer really was. So I started reading a lot about it. I started doing... Uh, going on YouTube. The dumbest thing I think I've ever done in my life is I watched the first five minutes of a YouTube video that showed the Whipple surgery. And I'm saying, oh. I'm kidding. So, you know, we went in. Um, I uh, had the surgery. The surgeon was great. He said that he was going to come out halfway through the surgery and give the family the update. Uh, they must have been like 12 doctors rotating through the room because of the length of the surgery. Oh, that's, yeah, it's a long time. Uh, it's a long time, and then uh, I went from there into the ICU, and I had a, a feeding tube, and then mm. I was in there for about three days, and then I went for another week in a regular room, but I still, without getting into the gross details, I had a feeding tube for a while. I had these drip things for going to the mm-hmm. bathroom. It was a, you know, it was a whole bunch of stuff, but I was... I was not down. I was not down at all. I was happy that it had been diagnosed. I have spent my whole life working 100 hours a week and missing a lot of things. And this almost, from the date of the diagnosis, changed the way I looked at life into this live life every day, throw no no days mm-hmm. away, and be involved more with people and this other stuff. You know, you've done it, you know, enough so i I was always in uh you know in a good mood uh I came home and um I had uh, visiting nurse care for about a week uh to two weeks 
And then when I got strong enough, I um, wanted, was going to do um, chemo for six months. And the the uh, the doctor that had been recommended by my surgeon was the one that I planned on dealing with. However, and he was a hot shot. However, when I went to talk with him, he um, was very condescending. He was very negative. He tried. I, when I said to him, you know, here we are in February. My daughter's uh, wedding is in October. I really want to, you know. Um, get ready for that and doing the chemo and getting it over by the end of August or whatever was really going to help me. So he said something like, you know, you may not make it because the fatality rate is so high. So then he goes and he, he goes on his computer and he quotes some statistics that are at least 20 years old. And it included every single type of person who could get pancreatic, which means most of the study that he's referring to are people who, because they weren't diagnosed early, couldn't have the surgery. I'm actually in a category by my, myself because I was diagnosed so early and was so lucky. So he was so negative that I couldn't wait to get out of there. So I then interviewed two other oncologists and picked one uh, that my wife and I felt uh, very comfortable with. And I was very much interested in doing a um, a multiple uh, chemo drug uh, regimen because in my thinking, if one drug has a 95% success rate and two have 97 and three have 99, I want the 99. They had warned me in advance that one of the three uh, drugs could have severe side effects. Unfortunately for me, it did. So I had to stop taking it. Um, and you know, there were a lot of things that went on. I was weak. I was tired, all of that stuff, but I was always in a good mood because I was there. I was surviving and I was reading a ton of books. And when I did the chemo, I would go into a room with a bunch of other people who amazingly we're all upbeat also. We talk to each other, see how we're doing, we'd swap food, we'd swap all types of stuff. And I found that I found that to be, you know, very uplifting. Uh, my family was um really demoralized almost from day one when I told my younger daughter who was getting married in October that, uh, you know, this was going to happen, but I was going to be there and I was going to walk down the aisle with her. I was going to dance with her and I was going to do a toast. She immediately said she wanted to do a bedside wedding because she wanted to make sure. And I said, I'm not thinking like that because I'm going to be there. So get that out of your head. I'm going to be there and I'm going to do everything that I possibly can. So um, the (laughs) the one setback I had along the way is that Three days after I had uh, the chemo, and what had happened to me is with pancreatic cancer, when you lose just about your whole pancreas function, um, you go from type 2 to type 1. And that means that whereas with type 2 diabetes, I could control my blood sugar within a relatively narrow band, with type 1, it was all over the place. And I guess because I was still in the early stages of understanding it, I got too low and I passed out. And I ended up uh, with a fracture in between two of my vertebrae. So I had to have cement uh, put in my back. So that was kind of an unanticipated uh, consequence. 
But um, I, I'm telling you, I have never asked why me because I've considered myself so lucky. Mm-hmm. I believe that, uh, you know, we can create our own positive outlook by thinking about the things in life that are good and not dwelling on the ones that are just bad. Uh, one quick anecdote, well, two quick anecdotes on that. One is that while I was doing chemo, um, I was back at my gym. I had been kind of a gym rat uh, uh, before that. It's interesting. I didn't start becoming a gym rat till I was about 55, but I got really into it. So I came back. I had to buy my own weights on Amazon because I could only do one-pound weights, and they would all laugh at me. But I would feel better psychologically leaving there then than after I did uh, leg lifts of 400 pounds and lifted all of this weight because it was such a a psychological thing of being able to be there um, and to do it. So that, you know, was um, really fantastic for me. And I had a tremendous amount of support by my uh, friends and colleagues and, of course, my family. And they were all uh, mm-hmm. wonderful. I know I said I was going to do another anecdote, but I forgot for right now what the second one was. Maybe I'll remember. Yeah, it. yeah. It's it's really important to um, to do the things that you have a passion for when you're undergoing treatment. It gives you a sense of of uh, stability through that process. Absolutely, and what I what I say in the, in the book too is that you know related to this thing of of the gym and of exercise is that we can't go back and redo things. I'm not going to leg lift 400 pounds again. I'm not going to lift 150 pounds. The key is, as we go forward, what can I find that I do that I like doing that I'm able to do? So I'm doing the exercise bike. I'm doing the elliptical. I do leg lifts. I go walk the track. Um, So, you know, we have to find what we like. We can't just go back and say, oh, I can't do that anymore. Okay, we can't. But what can we do? And I think yeah, if we you look at it from that things. perspective. Huh? Mm-hmm. You can modify things. And if you look at it from the perspective of what can I do, you know, the glass half full instead of the glass half empty, I think we're always much better off. And that's, you know, that's one of my credos too. I mean, the the, the proudest thing I am uh, post-surgery uh, and everything. is. Uh, as a college professor, I was at Hofstra University in New York. I was there for 44 years until I resided at the end of December of 2018. So when I had the surgery and everything in 2015, uh, because of the reaction that I had to the chemo, I had to lay out the whole semester. So I came back in the fall of 2015 through the fall of 2018 before I retired. And the thing that I'm most proud of is that I never, ever missed a day of class for any reason, not alone illness, because that was one of my goals. And there were many days when I didn't feel great. My sugar may have Mm -hmm. been too high or too low, uh, but I was determined. And I think being determined uh, is another part of it. You know, we can't give up. Life is great. You know, we -hmm. have to take what we have maximize that and we have to that's why i you know i coined this other phrase i think i mentioned a minute ago you know don't throw any days away today's a great day okay i had a bone density scan i'm going out to get a pair of glasses but then i'm going to with my wife for a couple hours to costco 
We went out mm-hmm. to a really nice Valentine's dinner last night. I've had a doctor's appointment every day this week. I don't care because this is another term that we all need to get used to, and that is what I would call the new normal. I don't care about any of that stuff. It's just my regular routine, just like I used to have a different regular routine. So instead of getting agitated that I've got to see this one and I've got to do this and I've got to do that, it's just this is part of the routine that enables me to feel as well as I feel and to be as enthusiastic as I, as I am. And it should come across from the way that I talk that I am enthusiastic and that I mean what I say in terms of being upbeat. Now, um, did you change your diet at all? Uh, yes. Um, I've changed it a bunch of times over the years, but um, I guess I could divide it up into a couple of parts related to the cancer, and that is that by the time I was finished with um, the surgery and the chemo, I had probably lost between 60 or 70 pounds. So I had to come up with a diet that would work for me, that would help me gain weight while at the same time not adversely uh, affecting uh, my sugar level, my glucose level. So I worked for several months. My oncologist, uh, which is a pretty big office, had a dietitian that was on the premises. So I used to you know, work out diets with her and I was I was using a lot of the protein shakes, the Ensure, and a lot of that stuff. But yeah, I've got you know I've uh, over the last several years I rarely eat beef. I'm big on fish. I'm big on vegetables like uh, zucchini. My wife will make me as a main course zucchini with uh, low skim mozzarella. Um, I have a lot more soup. One of the things that I've had to do is to um, look for uh, low-sodium soup uh, because my sodium level has gotten high at points. And this is a case where, you know, Amazon is really helpful because I couldn't find low-sodium soup in my local supermarket, but I could go to Amazon and they would have three or four uh, different varieties of that. And, you know, the other thing that I've, I've had to adjust to with becoming a type 1 diabetic is that the range is really hard, really a lot. I could be 65 or 350, and that sounds dreadful, but it is just what it is. And my, my endocrinologist, who's the guy who saved my life, uh, his biggest worry is the lows, because the lows affect the body more, and the lows are the ones where you could pass out. So I am constantly uh, checking my blood sugar level, and I have in the pocket of my jacket, wherever I am, I have a, a juice box, and I have something that almost looks like toothpaste, which is pure glucose, so that if I get too low, um, I know to take that. And I know that if I go to the gym, I have to be really high. Because by the time I finish working out and the adrenaline's flowing and I'm sweating and whatever, I'm inevitably in the 80 range. So I've got to be careful that I don't go lower than that. So, yeah, it has been a learning curve. Uh, you know, I had to change my diet when I first became diabetic 25 years ago. And that was much harder because I, uh, I think when I first got the diabetes, 
um, I wasn't psychologically ready to be a diabetic, and I kind of fought it. And I think a lot of people do that, and that's a big problem too. When I've talked to my endocrinologist, he said that about 50% of the patients that he diagnoses with diabetes and that he puts on medication, that probably 50% of those within the year stop the medication. And they don't, you know, they feel fine. They don't realize that this is lifelong medication. It's not something where you take it for a period of time and it's gone. So I think a lot of people, I mean, there are a lot of people, there are probably more people in the United States walking around with diabetes that don't know it than people who know it because they don't get tested. There are a lot of people who could be saved from the worst part of pancreatic cancer, which is death, if they got frequent blood tests and were checked out earlier. Uh, because yeah, I got the blood work point. every three months, mm-hmm. and he did this Billy Rubin test, he had actually told me uh, afterwards that if I had waited to the next visit, which was three months later, that it could have been too late to do the surgery because this stuff acts so fast. Huh. Why was he doing that test? Is it something he does with diabetic patients? Um, I, yes, it's something he does with diabetic patients. And I guess he's looking at the kidney function and there's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of other tests. I think that, you know, to my way of thinking, he's just more thorough. He's a younger guy, but he's quite conservative in terms of doing all the possible tests. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, he's, he's the one that saved my life because he found yes, this he is. thing. And uh, I think he's a, you know, he's a younger guy. Um, I mean, he may have been more attuned to these things. He's one of the first doctors that I've had who was totally on the computer. I mean, he had everything computerized. Uh, Mm. And, you know, his physician's reference book was within the computer. So I think he was more attuned to this. And I know that he was regularly going uh, to seminars. And I think that he took a more, you know, holistic approach than just that he was an oncologist uh, working with diabetics. And, uh, you know, my, one of my daughters had seen him, and uh, he was great for her as well. Mm-hmm. So I actually, I was actually gave him a plaque with a clock on it that said, world's greatest and most compassionate doctor. And he would only hang it in his house because he's such a modest guy. Mm. So I think well, why that, do you think why do you think yeah. you got it in the first place? Why do I think I got the pancreatic cancer? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's any explanation except uh, the same fate that had me diagnosed early. Uh, there's no family history. Uh, they still haven't come up with really a good test to be able to do an early diagnosis of pancreatic cancer itself. And the, the Lust Garden Foundation and PanCan, there are a bunch of groups that are doing all kinds of studies and they're coming closer. But they really, you know, they've had a tough time identifying um, a linkage between pancreatic cancer and something else. So I don't know. I was probably um, as healthy as I was um, in years. I used to go to the gym all the time. I had a healthy diet. My diabetes was totally under control. And Mm. I think, you know, stuff just happened. I mean, I have a a really good friend. There's no history in his family. Uh, He never smoked. He never drank. 
he ended up with breast cancer. How do you explain that? You know, how do you explain mm-hmm. with so many women where there may be no history in their family at all yeah. of this stuff, and they end up with it? I mean, when I was when I was getting ready for the surgery, I I divided my friends that I talked to into two categories: good friends that I wanted to talk to, and good friends who had also had an experience uh, with cancer because they could relate to exactly what I was going through in a different mm-hmm. way. And one mm-hmm. of the people that I had talked to. Uh, was an ovarian cancer survivor. So her story was unbelievable and frightening. And she is now, um, I'm guessing, 15 years past the surgery. So, um, you know, was there an explanation in her case? No. You know, there was no family history or anything. So uh, sometimes it's just the luck of the draw. You know, there are cases with colon cancer and things like that with their do and and breast cancer in some cases where there do does seem to be a heredity hereditary factor but not in this case yeah you know i mean there's so many uh different um trains of thought uh on you know the reasons for for cancer uh i personally believe that there's a lot of um, toxicities in our environment, and um, as a result, those can can affect our immune function, which then allows the cancer to grow. Because we all have cancer cells in our body at all times. It's just a question of the immune system being right. able to um, to take them out early. <laughs> uh, and, absolutely. Well, I can tell you a story you know, from this past summer, which isn't in the book. And, you know, when I do my sequel, which I'm planning on doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so my wife and I uh, wa- went in 2015, we went on um, a cruise from Amsterdam down to St. Petersburg and back. And that was fine. There were no problems whatsoever. This past summer, we decided we wanted to do a tour of uh, Ireland and the British Isles. So we started out in Amsterdam, went to Bruges, Belgium, went to uh, Cork, uh, and then we were in Waterford. Uh, That night on the ship, before we docked at Waterford, I started getting uh, the shakes and um, couldn't stop shaking. And my wife says, you got to let the doctor check you out. And I said, no, I'll be fine. She says, you have to let the doctor check you out. Okay, so we go down. The doctor checks me out. He says, I don't like what I'm seeing. You're going to have to get out and go to the hospital. So they took me to the hospital. It turned out that I had gotten double pneumonia plus sepsis. So I was in intensive care for uh, six days in the hospital for another five. And they wouldn't let us go home for another five because they wanted to make sure that I was um, strong enough. So my thinking is this had to be partly caused by the fact that I, my immune system is less. And they're saying it could happen to anybody, and I'm saying I don't really necessarily buy that. But then when we came home, it took me another six weeks to get back to normal. But I do yeah. believe that it was because of, uh, you know, it could have been because of the bad oxygen in the plane, because those really mm-hmm. get people sick. There could have been something from the ship. Uh, mm-hmm. Or it could have just been random blind luck. But when you hear the word sepsis, 
my wife was uh, it was awful for her because mm-hmm. here she is That's in scary. Ireland, so she's got no support network of any kind. You right. know, she's stopping by the hospital to see me every day, and the oh, first couple geez. of days I was actually hallucinating. Oh but, no! You know, I came back, came back. Uh, we came back, and sometime the beginning of August, a week mm-hmm. later than we were supposed to, I rested up, and then I finished up my last semester at Hofstra, never missing a day. Not necessarily feeling great, but never missing a day because that was—that's yeah. me. I'm a highly motivated person. And um, I was not going to let that get me down either. So we just came back a couple of weeks ago. We went on a trip for a week, a a, a light trip. We went down to Costa Rica and just chilled out. And we're trying to figure out what to do this summer. So I'm not going to let it deter me. My wife is a nervous wreck. She now, when we want to go to a place like Costa Rica, she goes to the American Medical Association site to see how the country's medical system is rated. Ah, that's smart. Costa Rica was rated higher than the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you know that there's lots of things you can do to to boost your immune function. you know, you've got your, your vitamin C's and, and uh, probably the one um, thing that I've been told the most often is to have vitamin D. Um, I have all of keep, that. And I have, and I have, keep, pres- keep I have those prescription levels. levels. High, I have prescription yeah, levels. As, as high as you can on the vitamin D. Well, I found, we found something else from my my one daughter who travels a lot. Is that if you're going to go on the plane, if you if you start a couple of days before, there's a product called Airborne, and mm-hmm. if you take the pills for that, then you're less likely to get sick from the plane. And and from mm-hmm. Costa Rica, I could tell you that certainly seemed to work for us. Oh, good. So there's a yeah yeah there's a positive there. So um, oh, good. I have you know decided that that my my life is going to be devoted to uh, giving back because I feel so blessed. So I am, that's why I did the book. And mm-hmm. for anybody who's interested in it, if they go to free hyphen ebooks, one word dot net, you can download it for free. Uh, I have a blog, which I have started last summer, which is called uh, surviving cancer, embracing life.com. And I'm at Facebook. I'm all over the place because I really want to want to interact with people. So I've done a lot of speaking presentations. I've done some volunteer work, and this is what um, gets me uh, really going. And now um, I'm in the uh, the next phase of my life, which is uh, post retirement, and I have a bunch of things that I'm working on. But I'm still working on, you know, what else I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm pretty well, open. Thank you so much for coming on our show, Joel Evans. Uh, listeners, be sure to um, either purchase his book off of Amazon. Is that correct? If they were interested in getting a print copy of the book, it's $4.29. It's as low as I could get it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And, okay. if they, and if, if they if they're good. interested in just getting a PDF file that they could mm-hmm. read, uh, they could download it for free at the hyph- at the free hyphen ebooks.net. Hello? 
Well, that sounds great. Um, thank you again for okay. being with us, and I wish you um, all the best with your future endeavors. You too. And, uh, and, and good health to you. Thank you. And when, when is this available as a podcast? Uh, within like 15 minutes. Okay. Thank you. Good luck to you, too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That wraps up our show for today. Thank you so much for joining us. And please tune again. Tune in again next Wednesday at 4 p.m. in that specific standard time. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?